Isn't the Lord's table wonderful, everybody? Mm. As I've said in both the other services, we've had such wonderful music today and prayers coming from so many. I kind of feel like I've already eaten and I'm full of God, uh, but now it's time for the sermon. So uh, I, I hope this is a great dessert because we're already so loaded with God's presence. We're in the book of Galatians, and I am glad to bring this message. Look at the uh, sign we have here in our church right below the cross. There it is. I love the way that that was carved out of wood, paste put on the wood background. Freedom. When we started this series, we said this is Paul's big theme. It's freedom. And today, chapter 5, verse 1, is where he finally unleashes his freedom doctrine. And this is where he cries out, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. For freedom. It means that it has incredible value. And you already know it does. <laughs> there isn't a human being alive that doesn't cry out from their souls for freedom. We cry out for freedom in different ways. There's, there's the longing for human rights freedom. And we, we hear Dr. King cry out, free at last, free at last. Praise God Almighty, I am free at last. And he means a social freedom that, that, that follows human rights, that all are created equal in God's sight, and all are deserving of life, liberty, and happiness, right? Social freedom, human freedom. We hear, and I, and I went to Google on this, I, I kept thinking freedom, freedom, where's freedom? And, well, I thought of Mel Gibson. Right? From what movie? Braveheart, yeah. And remember, he, he cries out for, it's, what, it's national freedom. He says, they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. National freedom. Human being freedom. National freedom. Individual freedom. Huge in our land and in our country. Uh, to, to simply say uh, we, we believe in individualism and every human being gets to have the choice uh, to do what they want in life. Some of those things are good. Say like freedom of speech. It's a good thing. Other times our freedom can lead us to what we'll talk about later as a huge cliff that we jump off called license. But the, the longing for individual freedom, for free speech Free love, free choice. You see what can happen when individuals think they have the right to do whatever they want. Not so good. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Okay, those are three deep freedoms that are embedded in human society. Human, national, and individual. Paul's not talking about any of those. He's not talking about those three. He's talking about a deeper freedom. He's talking about an intrinsic freedom that happens inside the soul of a human being. Your soul contains your mind, your will, your emotions, your imagination, your memories. The, your own consciousness is your soul. And Paul is saying it was for soul freedom that Christ has come. That the essence of who you are is lit up inside with joy and freedom. Wow. How do we get there? 
We'll talk about it this week and next. But notice in that passage in Galatians 5, the very first verse where he cries out, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Look what happens right after that. The second half of the verse, he says, but, I, I added that, stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. Do you notice the contrast? The first half of the verse is the great longing of humankind. Freedom. The second half of the verse is all language of burden and slavery. Don't be yoked again to a burden of slavery. Freedom. Slavery. What's Paul after? Well, I think when he talks about the yoke, there must be something that humans do, even those that have started to experience the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, to return to a yoke of slavery. And the language there is very strong. In, in, in an agrarian culture, of course, you've got oxen, and the oxen are incredibly uh, strong, and they can pull huge loads. But you see the oxen lo uh, yoked down with this heavy wood thing that holds it in control, and it tries to pull its weight. That's the whole thrust of those verbs here. Burdened, yoked, slavery. It's like Paul is saying, God's objective for you is freedom, mind, will, emotions. Loved by God, loving God, loving God's world till you can barely handle the joy of it all. Boy, but there's a cliff we can fall off. And the first cliff is the cliff that Paul's been talking about throughout his whole letter. It's the cliff of legalism. Legalism. Pastor Rob uses the term for this religion. When we start to believe that there's something that we do that earns God's love. So follow me now, verses 2 through 4. Mark your words, I tell you, Paul says, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ won't be of any value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he's therefore obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen from grace. Now go down with me to verses 7 through 9, which tie into that idea. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you? to keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, meaning God. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Now, we've been talking about this week in and week out, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it except in kind of a summary statement. In the time of Paul, in Jewish religion, there was the belief that the one God loved you, but it was imperative that you obey rigorous rule-keeping to earn his approval and favor. It's not so dissimilar today. Most religions of the world believe that, that it's Jesus plus a lot of other things. Or it's not Jesus at all, and it's just hard, 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 hard works. Paul's been saying throughout his whole book, that's going to lead you to slavery. Number one, 
if, if, if circumcision, which is kind of the outward symbol of following that whole works-driven stuff, the outward symbol on your body for men, once you do that and you start following this whole thing, it's, uh, you've got to follow every single one of them and you can't do it. Right? So it burdens you, lays you down. If you think you've got to earn God's favor, you'll never feel you've earned God's favor. Because you can't even fulfill your own conscious right and wrong, much less God's. So that's kind of where he's at there. Now notice here, he says a, a little bit more. Um, he says, you're obligated to obey it all. You can't have it both ways. Evidently, the Galatians who had heard Paul talk about the, the path of freedom then had these legalistic people come in and start saying, no, you've got to be circumcised, and then you've got to obey this, and you've got to obey that, and you've got to obey that. Incidentally, a lot of the moral law is really good. It's a guideline to, to kind of show us right and wrong. But it's when we start to think that doing good is what saves us that we get enslaved. So he says, you can't, if, if, if you said you can't save yourself, only Jesus can save me, and then out of the other side of your mouth, you say, I can save myself, or at least I can participate by getting circumcised and not committing adultery and not lying, cheating, stealing. Uh, da, 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 da. And Paul says, nope. He says, that's like throwing the yeast into some dough that you didn't want to raise. Even the smallest amount of yeast just blows the whole thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Lose the grace of God, believing that it's only Jesus that saves you. But if you go to the other side and if you lose that, then you awaken the wrath of God. If you want to be saved by works, he'll hold you to that. And you won't even get out the door of goodness. So you know all of this. We've been talking about it. But this thing of even adding a little bit on messes it all up. I was thinking, I was trying to get an illustration. I was thinking at Christmas time, I love to make a, a drink called wassail. Here we come, a wassail in among the leaves. So it's got apples and oranges and, and, and sugar and, and spices and sugar and, uh, uh, and cloves and sugar. And uh, Okay, so really, really, really good. And I've been making it for like 30 years. And I'm looking at Matthew now, who comes to my house for Christmas sometimes, and Catherine, so they always get our wassail, right? Well, one year, Matthew, I, I decided I'm getting a little tired of this recipe. If it tells me to put orange slices in it, wouldn't it even be better if I put orange rinds in it with the orange slices? And the answer to that is a definitive no. Uh, because I had to throw out the whole batch. The orange rinds just messed up the whole beauty of, of perfect wassail. Well, that's what happens when you try to add your good works to what Jesus did and thinking it saves you. You're, you've fallen off the cliff. You've fallen into legalism. It'll mess you up forever. Um, now, notice that he also says there, you've fallen from grace. That's really severe. See it there at the end of verse 4? You've been alienated from Christ. And you've fallen from grace. What does that mean? And we're not sure where Paul was going with this. And I read a lot on this this week. I, I read Luther. I read Calvin. I read Hobbes. I read everybody on this. 
it may simply mean that Paul is saying, if you fall back into thinking you participate in getting God's approval, you're going to miss the great grace and joy of the free life. That may, mean, that may be all it means. It may mean, however, that those who started well, believing that they're saved only by grace, can fall away. I'm going to put a verse on the board for us now, 1 John 2 and 19. This is St. John. He says, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You can start out well, but if you cast Jesus aside, saying, I'm really glad for what you did for me, but I also think that I need to do this and I need to do this and I need to do this to be right with God the Father, you maybe weren't ever one of us at all. I'm going to leave it right there in that tension because different streams of theology try to solve it. But let me say this. If you have any concerns that you've fallen away from grace and it concerns you, you probably haven't. Because when this really happens, you don't care. Serious, though, isn't it? Well, so Paul starts with good news. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Then bad news. But there's all sorts of yoking and burdens and slavery you can fall into. And Lon says there are two cliffs. And the first cliff, you can fall into this thing of legalism or religion saves me, religion saves me. Now we need some good news again. And that takes us to verses 5 and 6. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let me say that again. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Paul is starting to give us the understanding of what the free life is about. The only thing that counts is trusting faith, expressing itself, love to God. God's love for us, our love to God. When you start just by faith trusting in that love that he has for you and your growing love for him, you start to enter the promised land. You start to experience the free life. Notice, notice what it says there. Through the Spirit, verse 5, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness that comes along with this. You know what righteousness it is? It's a big, complex, massive theological subject. But I've tried to summarize it in ways that expresses its beauty. The Spirit is telling you and me that a righteousness is coming. In this love relationship we have, something's happening. First thing, righteousness means that we've entered into a right relationship with God and God alone. We, we, we understand that we're loved by God more than we've ever deserved, that he lavishes us with his love. And we start loving him back. You can put a check mark next to that one, everybody, because once you've experienced the new birth with Jesus Christ and that relationship begins, God will never take it away from you. It's yours. 
Number two, it also means, righteousness also means a right record. That, that God declares, he, he looks at your record of behavior, and, and there's about a zillion things that you've done wrong. And he just chooses to take that great big stamp and says, not guilty. Your, your record has been expunged. Why? Because somebody absorbed your sins. Jesus Christ. You can put a check next to that one. The right relationship, the right record, and the third aspect of wonderful righteousness is right living. Goodness starts growing in us supernaturally. Now, I don't put a check next to that one because that's what we call progressive. We sometimes use the word sanctification there of God making us more and more like Christ who is in us. But it's progressive. And someday, you'll even put a check there for when you see him face to face in eternity, you will be everything you were ever meant to be in total perfection righteousness he says the spirit is telling us that it is coming and 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 it comes out of this whole thing of this loved and being loved being loved and loving being loved and loving and and the spirit starts saying it's more than even that it's a right record it's goodness it's the free life that you're meant to have wow look what jesus says so, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You're truly free. This is what Paul's getting at. It's what Jesus promised, the free life, that in my soul I am sensing God, and in my soul I am feeling loved and I am loving. I know he has died and risen for me and starts changing the trajectory of my life. I start getting better and better. I, I was reading Martin Luther this week, and you're the only service that gets this because if I go 36 minutes here, I'm not in trouble. And the other ones, I am. And it's works righteousness when it comes to our preaching. Uh, but um, there's this, I, I was reading everything Luther has to say on Galatians, and at one point he just stops. And in, and in his lecture called Religious Liberty, he says, what this amazing reality of what Christians are and what they can do when they're living this free life of knowing they're loved, of being loving, and watching Jesus transforming them day in and day out by his spirit. Whoa! Yeah, okay. So that's good news. Now let's go to bad news again. Verses 10 through 12. I'm confident in the Lord that uh, you will take no other view. Uh, the one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, he's going to have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, some of you who have read ahead have just been waiting for me to get to verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. All right. Paul's really angry. Now, he starts this by saying, you started well. You've almost fallen off the cliff. I still think you're going to make it. 
That's what verse 10 is. I think you're going to come back to the freedom you're meant to have. I think you'll get there, all right? But those who have been persuading you this way, they're in for big trouble, okay? Then he says, they're even saying that Paul is circumcised. Paul is saying, follow the whole law. And then Paul says, if I was saying that, why are they persecuting me? I don't believe those things anymore. Circumcision or non-circumcision doesn't matter. Only faith expressed through love. That's all that matters. And then he ends it again by saying, in their case, the offense of the cross is at hand. Now, what's he mean by the offense of the cross? Is the cross offensive to you? Is there anything in you that causes you to say, well, it was nice, but he really didn't have to go that far. When we do that, we're kind of embarrassed a little bit by the cross because we know the Bible says that was required for us to be forgiven, and many of us know we're bad, but we're not that bad. And God answers, yes, you are. You're worse than you can imagine. You say, well, no, there are people that are worse, and God says, I won't argue that. But there's no part of your life where you're what you're supposed to be. The taint is everywhere. And so the cross is offensive to those that think they somehow participate by their goodness in their salvation, you see? Now, for those that are gripped by shame and guilt, the cross is not offensive. It's a gift that you want to cling to with all your heart. Because you know that there's a lot more wrong in you than right, and you feel the deep need to somehow know that you're forgiven and loved despite yourself. Yeah. All right, then on this emasculate thing. <laughs> I, I, I looked it up in the Greek, help, looking for help. Uh, and it, it, it was even worse. It means castrate. I wish the people that are trying to pull you back into a works-based life would castrate, be castrated, okay? So I'm not going to go into a lot of explanation here. We have young people in the room. Uh, but Paul seems to be saying, you know, because you kind of tie it into the circumcision thing going on that's been a part of this conversation. It's almost like he's saying, I wish in their case the knife would slip. Now, that's mean. That's not loving. Was Paul a sinner? Of course he was. And I was ready to write it off just as that. He cares about this salvation by grace alone so much that anybody is again. But then I started finding Jesus is just as ticked about this. Watch this passage that we put up here from Mark. If anyone causes one of these little ones who are those who believe in me, to stumble. Isn't that what these guys are doing, these agitators? It would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It would be better for you to, en uh, to enter the kingdom of God with one eye 
than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Now, this is aggrandizing language to make a point. Paul's saying, I wish that the knife would slip. It's like Jesus saying, pluck out your eyes. Do whatever. Hell is real. And people who cause people to stumble, there's nothing worse. People that try to keep people away from the life in Christ, nothing worse, says Jesus. You've got a ticket to ride. Okay? Strong. Why? Because this is, this reality is the essence of life. The free life or slavery. Heaven or hell. This really matters. Now, I need to say this. For some of us who live in our culture of tolerance. I have a warning for us. If you find it easy to say to friends and family who don't know Jesus and then might say something like this, hey, I'm glad you believe what you believe, mom, dad, brother, sister, neighbor, friend, coworker. I'm glad you believe in Jesus this way. I've found my path to God another way. Our tolerant society says, well, that's fine, because where do they go with it? Relativity. So really, whatever you believe about it is going to be fine. We can't do that. We can't do that. This is life and death. This is heaven and hell. And while every human being has the right to believe what they want, we believers do not have the right to say that that's right. (laughs) We must say, God decided that his son would die for the sins of the world. God said, this is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets the God thing right without trusting in Jesus. You have to tell them because you love them. It's not your job to make them believe, but you must tell them the truth as you perceive it and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit will do with it. Do it in love, pray it up, but never fall to tolerance which says anything you want to believe is fine. All right. Verse 13, well, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but, we've got one more set of bad news here, folks, but don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Remember how I told you when we started that we were going to talk about two cliffs you can fall off? The first one was this legalism or religion, religiosity thing that you earn your salvation. Here comes the other cliff. And we're going to do more with this next week uh, in the preaching of this text but it's called license. So it starts with an L. You got legalism, you got license, all right? Or permissiveness, or indulging yourself. It's essentially, what he's talking about here is don't indulge the flesh. The flesh, the inner man, apart from God, is always crying out and say, me, I'm gonna make this as clear and simple as I can, me, mine, and more. 
me, mine, and more. It's the essence of what we are. Apart from God, we turn into the worship of the self. We turn in to make the self first. And then we've got individualism in Western society telling us that's right. So you've got two strikes against you. Your own flesh is calling you that way, and your own society tells you it's right. And it isn't. What the Bible says over and over again is people that choose me, mine, and more inevitably fall into a deeper slavery than they ever imagined. It doesn't satisfy. More is never finished. Me, as I focus on me and make me the center of my life, as C.S. Lewis says in The Great Divorce, you just get smaller and smaller and smaller as a human being until there's nothing left. Indulgence License doesn't make you free. It turns you into a slave of your lusts and wants. Paul says, hey, you're free. I'm using freedom language, Paul says. But don't think I mean indulgence. That's every bit as bad as this one. License. I mean, whoop. Legalism. License. Okay, see? Now next week, much, much more on this license side of it here. Okay, but now he gets to, again, and starts bringing us home to the wonderful conclusion. Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, and you could insert in here, rather, second half of verse 13, rather, use your freedom, right? Because that's the theme of the text. Use your freedom, and here it comes, everybody, to serve one another in love. The freedom he's talking about starts by faith expressing itself in love, receiving God's unconditional love and loving God back. And the freedom Paul talks about for the soul, it grows as we give ourselves to serving others. Look what it says in verse 14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Freedom has to do with serving and has to do with love. Freedom has to do with love and has to do with serving. This is, this is God's way of freedom. Loving him and expressing it by serving the world about us. Once you start to get a hold of that lifestyle, it, it starts to change you. You find that you're no longer gripped by oughts and shoulds as much as want tos. And secondly, your your inward turning toward me, 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 you start to get a lot more joy when you start to focus on you, 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 you. How many of you are married? Isn't that true? Yeah. It's God's way. It's God's freedom trail. Loving God, loving the world through service. I I really like this. At the Academy Awards, one of those that won uh, a a major acting award 
when the person came up to receive it, they kind of stunned this audience because this is all about glitz and glamour and millions of people watching you and you are the best in the world at this for this year, et cetera, et cetera. And, and this person, this is all they said. When I started studying acting, my instructor said to me, it's not about you. It's not about you. The only way you could ever be a great actor is when it's not about you, but you become a servant of the story and the character you're asked to portray. You've got to get the me out of it all the way. I thought that was so cool in that setting. Or if you don't like that story, I think the Grinch who stole Christmas is pretty good. <laughs> so we've had Luther, Calvin, Hobbes, and Dr. Seuss today. Remember that. But I love to tell this story of what happens when, when, uh, when he changes. Remember the transformation that changes place in the Grinch? And he who took and tried to you know, do anything he could to destroy them, suddenly his life is transformed. And this is what Dr. Seuss says about it. Well, in Whoville they say that the Grinch's small heart grew three sizes that day. And then the true meaning of Christmas came through. And the Grinch found the strength of ten Grinches plus two. He began to give instead of receive. So it all comes back to what we kind of have known. The love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Serve. Serve, serve. In our church, we do a lot of serving. And if you're not a part of any volunteer role where you're serving, please consider it. I found out this week uh, that it takes 450 people to volunteer just to make a Sunday morning happen here. <laughs> Between our tech teams and our front door teams and our teaching teams, and, and 450. Yeah. Some of you are a part of that. I know that 1,400 of the nearly 3,000 people that come here every week, over half of, about half of you are involved in serving. And I see a lot of you out there serving, and you look like the saddest people in the world. No. It's not true, is it? You like it, right? You were built for it. It's the freedom life to give yourself away to others. Incidentally, a commercial... 10 seconds. If you do want to serve, every week our, our coordinator of serving is standing out there at a little table ready to put you in a place that will bless your life. Angie, I did it. All right, there you go. So consider that. All right, let's move toward closure here. Um, this all comes down to a picture we're going to put on the screen right now. It's a water tower. You say, what in the world is this about? Well, I'll tell you. That's West Chicago. That's the town where Marie and I live. You, you perhaps live in another one. And you've got water towers. I was studying this passage with my men's small group early Tuesday morning. And as I, as, as I talked to them more about this kind of loving God deeply and being loved by God freely and totally which leads to a loving others through service. I said, it's just kind of this thing, guys. And then Dennis Nelson says to me, he says, it's kind of like a water tower. 
<laughs> and I went, huh? And he said, no, no. He says, okay, I learned more th- uh, about this since then. The, during the night, the, the big towers, which have pumps, draw water up from the ground and they draw it up into the tank so that during the day, the water can be dispersed wherever it is needed. Draws it up into itself. Folks, the water tower is God. He is the source of all life and thirst quenching. And many of us have come to know him and we experience him. And then he lets us take his living water and spread it out throughout our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and our world. That's it. Galatians 5.1 is all about the water tower. Let's pray. Father, unto you I commit these words that they would do all that you wish them to and nothing more beyond that. Jesus, I will never come to the end of what it means to be loved by you plus nothing from me. But we are so grateful. Now, Lord, fill us with that love and then exude your water through us to a thirsty world. Amen and amen.